Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you, God, that your God is not silent, but you speak to us. So we pray, Lord, today that you would, like any other time we read your word, that you would help us to listen and you would help us to respond um, in faithfulness and put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is, uh, it's not hard to think of good things that we take for granted, isn't it? Now, I don't want to take you on a guilt trip here, but just, just bear with me for a moment. We can probably think of those things, and sometimes we don't appreciate the goodness of those things until we lose them, taking good things for granted. So, for example, I, I, visited, um, I visited Dubbo uh, about a week and a bit ago. Let me put this as nicely as I can, and I'm sorry if you're from Dubbo, but I'm really thankful that I live here. Um, it's a subjective thing, of course. You know, some people love that. But, but I really like living here. Um, what other things do we take for granted? Um, our safety. We live in a pretty safe country, don't we? Uh, your education. You take that for granted. Or you've taken that for... I don't know, good health. Freedom. Um, your family. Your spouse. Sometimes we give next to no thought about how important these things are and how good they are. So we take them for granted. Let me ask you another question and I want you to think, I want you to take a moment to think about it. What does it look like when we take the word of God for granted? What does that look like? Have a think about that. What does it look like when we take the word of God for granted? Perhaps you've never known the goodness of the Word of God. And so you, in your head you're sort of struggling a bit to answer that question. But if you do know the goodness and the brilliance of God's Word, then what does it look like when we take it for granted? Well, as we open up 1 Samuel again, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we'll see it there, we read that in those days the Word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. Now, God still spoke. We even see it in chapter 2 when this, uh, this strange man of God appears. We know nothing more about him in verse 27, but he doesn't bring very good news. Uh, but, when, but it was rare. When God spoke, it was very rare. Now, why was it so rare? Well, I don't think it's too hard to guess. I think there's two answers, actually. Hophni and Phinehas. <laughs> That's why it was rare. Self, these self-serving priests up at Shiloh who did not know the Lord, we're told, and behaved with contempt with the things of God. And as well as being appointed to serve and offer the sacrifices, the priests were the mediators to receive revelation from God. And with priests like those up at Shiloh, it's no wonder then that God rarely spoke. And when he did, it would be the kind of terrible word that we heard at the end of chapter 2. But in the midst of all this darkness, we keep being drawn to young Samuel. We keep, we keep, the text keeps whispering to us, don't forget Samuel, don't forget Samuel. Over the last chapter, we've watched the progression of Samuel, little bright spots in a fairly gloomy picture. And so in stark contrast to Hophni and Phinehas, these dodgy priests, well, Samuel progressed from being the boy who served the Lord under the direction of and supervision of Eli the priest in 2 verse 11. You can see and follow through with me if you like. In 2 verse 18, uh, to taking the priestly garment himself. 
to personal growth with the Lord in 2 verse 21. And then in 2 verse 26, he's uh, described as a youth in good favour with God and the people. And to the one and two, uh, three verse eleven. Uh, sorry, three verse one. We read the one who is now at Shiloh serving under Eli. Uh, it's interesting there in three verse one though that Eli is not called the priest anymore. So Samuel now takes the stage. The spotlight has been drawn to him. Uh, he's now front and centre. Well, let's look at this first point of outline here: the gift of the word of the Lord, uh, verses two to ten. Really, things are on the up. So the story, that's, that's the, really, that's the story of chapter 3. The situation described in verse 1 that we've already read will be very different by the time we reach the end of the chapter. But verses 1 to 7 describe a situation where God was not known. First we come to old Eli. It's hard not to feel sorry for him, really. So here he is in verse 2. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see. He was uh, lying down in his usual place. He's Eli, and we're told back in chapter 2, verse 22, that he's very old. He's now losing his eyesight, and really, he's not doing much at all, isn't he? Lying in his usual place. In fact, his blindness was a reflection of the spiritual reality of those times. Eli, down in his usual place, is really quite the contrast to young Samuel. You really get the impression that young Samuel is just bounding around in energy. Yes, I'm ready to go. Yes, woohoo. Um, that's young Samuel. Um, he's, he's like that. But as we look at Eli, we're, we're, we're confronted with this growing leadership crisis, aren't we? That, that was the crisis of the time. Who will lead God's people? Who, who, will, who will mediate to receive God's word and offer the sacrifices? Oh, surely it's not Hophni and Phinehas. Please, no. Not those two dodgy guys. Not a chance. And that means we're left with well, we're left with old, old Eli. And so our attention is drawn once again back to Samuel in verse 4. Now it was night time. Uh, the lamp of God in the temple. Now, of course, it's the tabernacle at this stage, which is a really, really fancy tent. Um, the temple wasn't built until Solomon's day, but it keeps being called the temple. But we know it's not the actual temple that Solomon built. The temple, uh, the lamp of God in the temple had not yet gone out. Um, perhaps it's another message, by the way, uh, that the writer brings out of the hope. God had not given up on his people. There was still hope. There was still light in the darkness. And young Samuel is there. He's in the temple of the Lord, waiting to do God's work. And with him was the ark of God. Now, the ark will become more significant in the coming chapters, but right now, the presence of the ark in the tabernacle reminds us of God's covenant commitment and God's covenant demand. The ark was a, um, uh, uh, was a gold-plated wooden box. Look, if it really helps, you can go Indiana Jones. That's okay. Um, it's pretty close to the truth, if that helps your imagination for a minute there. But it contained two st uh, st stone tablets, um, of the law and with the engraved words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Taken from Exodus chapter 20. So th that was there. There was, there was Samuel in the temple of the Lord um, with the ark of the covenant or the ark of God. So the scene is set for, well, let's be honest here, it's a pretty strange evening, isn't it? This, this evening we're about to read about. Uh, what was rare in those days happened that night. 
the Lord called Samuel. Let's read from verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I'm ready. Yes, let's go. Let's do it. Uh, But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now, whether Eli was hard of hearing, his eyesight was pretty bad. Maybe he was hard of hearing, not sure. Or it was just the distance between where he was lying down in the temple and where uh, Samuel was. But Eli didn't hear God's voice. But it was clearly audible. So, halfway through verse 5. So he, Samuel, went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, again, still full of beans. And he went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Notice his obedience. And notice too the affection that Eli has with with Samuel. He says, my son, I didn't call you. Uh, Go back, lie down. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. That's a funny thing to read right now, isn't it? It's a bit strange. So far, Samuel had come across as someone who knew the Lord. Wasn't he growing and, you know, uh, and, 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 and serving? But what Samuel did not know was the experience of being addressed by the Lord. See the second half of that verse 7. God had not yet revealed himself to him. See, that's how you know the Lord. God reveals himself to you in his word. Now, it's actually the same phrase, that did not know the Lord. That's the same phrase that's described with, that Hophni and Phinehas is described as. Uh, they did not know the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas did not know the Lord, though, because of their defiance of God. You cannot know God and live in disobedience to him. You, you can't know God like that. But Samuel was very different. Samuel did not know the Lord because God had not yet revealed himself to him by his word. Well, in verses 8 to 10, that situation is about to change. And old Eli, well, things clicked with old Eli. Uh, Something was to happen that hadn't happened in a long time. After following Eli's instructions, Samuel lay down and waited. But he didn't need to wait too long. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This was no dream. Here was God standing In his presence. Finally, the silence is over. Here we are, we're at Shiloh, this significant place. And the word of God, the word of the Lord is being heard. And it's such a good thing to hear. But this word of God was a word of judgment. It's a terrible word that we read in verses 11 to 14. We ought to note, you see, when, when, God, when God speaks, it's not some kind of mystical experience. I think we've got to get that out of our heads. It's, if, it's as if the experience is that matters when God speaks. No, no, what matters is what God says. So what does God say? Well, the message in verse 11 is one that will mean ears will tingle. What does that mean? Uh, well, it's, it's a terrifying thing. I don't know if you've been really, really scared. A moment when you've been really scared, uh, your body sort of shakes, type thing. your lips might quiver. That's what's being described here with these words that, that, are, that are being said. Their ears will tingle. The message is terrifying because of what is said. 
See, God is true to his word. He will do what he said he would do. So verse 12. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. That was what, he's, what we heard about last chapter through this uh, mysterious man of God who turns up in, in verse 27 and following. Verse 13 of chapter 3. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His, knew about. his sons made them contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Well, after hearing that in verse 15, um, I imagine Samuel was pretty keen for a long sleep in and didn't want to have much to do with Eli. Uh, he, was quite, he was not keen to share with Eli what God, and for good reason, what God had just told him. Uh, I can also imagine there probably wasn't a lot of sleep that night for, for young Samuel. Well, let's see how they respond to the word of God. Samuel, well, he's a good young man, isn't he? He's a good young man and he ends up doing what Eli told him to do. He told him everything. He, doesn't, uh, he didn't hide anything from him, although I must admit, Eli's threat in verse 17, um, I thought, oh man, that seems a bit over the top. But anyway, that's where Eli's at at the moment. Let's notice Eli's response to the word of God though. Look how matter of fact it is. But still trusting as he submitted to the word of God, verse 18, Eli responded, He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. You know, I reckon this is Eli's finest moment. That's his, this is it. Eli acknowledges and accepts the rightness of God's judgment. How do we respond to the word of God? How do you respond to God's word? I wonder if it's like Eli at this point. God, you know best. I'm just going to trust in you. I don't really like it that much. It hurts a bit. It's hard. But God, you know best. I'm going to trust in you. And that's what Eli did. I think it's his finest moment. Perhaps in the past, Eli had taken God's word for granted, but not this time. Well, things could not be the same again in Shiloh, uh, nor in fact in Israel. Samuel now knew the Lord, for the word of the Lord has now been revealed to him. These final three verses of the chapter sum up the consequences of this. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Now, whose words? Whose words are they that will not fall to the ground? Samuel's or the Lord's? Both. They're both. Samuel was now a prophet. He would speak God's words and none of those words would fail. Verse 20, And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognised that Samuel was attested a prophet of the Lord. Uh, it's trustworthy, reliable. Samuel was a good guy. We can trust, trust his words. God was no longer silent. The situation in verse 1, well, that's over now. Verse 21, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. The God who cared about childless Hannah cared about leaderless Israel. The word of the Lord would now come to Israel by the prophet he had called. Let's make two closing observations and then a couple little words of, uh, of application. Here's the first one. Um, we've noticed it a few times, but Israel, um, Israel, remember, was in a time of crisis, a crisis of leadership. And in response to that crisis, what did God do? In response to this crisis of leadership, in, 
this nation. What did he do? Did he raise up a man with spectacular leadership gifts who was, had to be interrupted from his world tour of preaching and teaching? And he'd been at conferences and, and he's flying around in jets and all this sort of stuff. Did he do that? Uh, had he written books and so forth? No, no, no. No, he didn't do that. Did he set up a parliament or some sort of government system, organisational structure for the nation? What did God do in response to this leadership crisis? Well, no, he sent his word. That's what he did. He sent his word. And he provided a way for his word to go out to all Israel. Samuel had no recognised office. wasn't famous or well-known. God made him a prophet to speak God's word. God's response to Israel's leadership crisis was the provision of his word. Now, it's not hard to feel, as you read this chapter through, finally when we get to the end of the chapter, but this gift of the word of God, it was good. It's a good gift to have the word of God. So good. It was good that God's word was heard again in Israel, and it was good that there was a prophet among them. What a great thing. They, They have the word of God. God is not silent. God is a God who speaks, and that is good. What a great thing that is. That's the first observation. The second observation, I guess, what has all got this got to do with today? That's an important question, isn't it? What's it got to do with you and me? Well, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, such as Samuel, In many times and in various ways. But in these last days, that's now, he has spoken to us by his son. Just like back then, today, God leads his people by his word. God's word to us is the word he has spoken to us. uh, He has spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. It's the word we read as we read our Bibles. It's the word you hear when you hear the truth about Jesus. God's not silent. We can be his people. We can hear his word. We can believe him. We can obey. And it is good. It is good. Okay, a couple words of application then. Uh, Well, what does it look like to take the word of God for granted? What does that look like? Uh, I guess we could ask... um, how do you respond to the word of God? What does it look like when we are not taking God's word for granted? Well, of course, we ought to know his word. We ought to know it. If this is the way God speaks to us, and this is the way he promises to speak to us, through his word in the Bible, then, then we ought to know that, wouldn't we? Uh, and sometimes that's hard. That's a bit tricky. Uh, sometimes we've got to think and ask difficult questions. It's why being in a, in, a, in a community group, a small group Bible study, I'm going to talk more about community groups in a moment. Uh, we changed the name there. That could be a, a controversial thing. I hope not. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, that's why being in a small group is so, so important, where you study the Bible together with fellow um, people from church here. Or just reading the Bible with a friend, even. Uh, there's a few people who do that in our church here. They One-to-one, they read the Bible. And so we get to know his word. Uh, we get to know God through his word. It's important we read our Bibles on our own. How are you going with your own uh, personal time with God? It takes a bit of discipline, doesn't it? It takes a bit of hard work sometimes, um, but we ought to do it. We won't get to know God uh, without doing that. We need to get to know him, know his word. Make that a habit. If you're stuck on ideas there, 
I've got plenty of ideas. I, last year, I um, no, it wasn't last year, it was, it was a while ago now, three years ago. Um, we, um, not we, I did it. <laughs> Start us again. Um, I used a prayer book, the prayer book, the, 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 um, uh, the calendar in the prayer book uh, to do my quiet times. There you go. It was actually pretty good. I really liked it. There you go. It's just, a, just something different. Um, at the moment, I'm failing miserably trying to read the Bible in a year, I'm about a year and a half behind. It doesn't matter. It's okay. <laughs> I'm reading it. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I think I'm up to January or something. I don't know where I am. It doesn't matter. I've just, as long as the bookmark's in place, I'm good. Um, but it, it does have sometimes a long chunk and sometimes I'm, I'm uh, slower and I want to focus on one section. But do that if you want to. Um, I was talking to, to, to Joe before and Joe and I were chatting about some of the little booklets you can buy in Anglicare. Um, talk to Brooke if you like. You can buy these little booklets would help you to read the Bible every day. There's a few Scripture Union ones, there's Daily Bread ones. Talk to Brooke about that. Um, they can help as well. Uh, talk to your friends at morning tea about what you're reading in God's Word. Maybe you've got a question. Maybe you've read something that's a bit tricky and you're not sure how, 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 it, uh, how it works and so on. So we need to know his Word to get to know God. Uh, we must hear his Word. We must believe his word. Let me ask you a difficult question for you to hear and for me to hear as well. Do you really trust God? Do you really trust him? Think about it for a minute. Do you really trust his word? That was why that moment for Eli was so significant. Because he just really trusted him. Do you really trust God and his word? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7 I don't think I've got the screen. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You might know that passage. Believing the word of God is not an academic exercise. It's not. It's not about how much I know, how much trivia I know. No, no, no. It's about putting Jesus' words into practice. Uh, Paul says the word equips us for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. In other words, it equips us for godliness. That's what godliness is, every good work. You could rattle off the fruits of the Spirit if you, want, if you like. That's what the Word of God equips us for. So if you're hearing the Word of God and it's not moving you to godliness or every good work, well then, friends, perhaps you're not hearing the Word of God. You're not believing the Word of God. God's Word is good. It's a gift to us by the grace of God. Let's get to know it. Let's love it. Uh, let's hear it. Let's put it into practice. How about I pray? Father, thank you for uh, your good word to us. God, thank you that you're a God who speaks. You love us so dearly that you gave us your son, Jesus. And as we read about the truth of Jesus, uh, Lord, we hear from you. Um, Lord, we pray that we'd get to know your word, your word more. We pray that we'd have conversations with people about it. Um, we pray, that, Lord, that as Jesus says, as we put your words into practice, we build... Uh, our house um, on the rock and that is you Lord Jesus um, Lord thank you for today uh, thank you for this great account in, in 1 Samuel 3 of you speaking and, um, but Lord most of all today we thank you that you speak through, uh, to us through your son Jesus in his name we pray Amen <laughs>